Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. The first Thursday in May is a big national day. You may not know that, but perhaps some of you do. In 1952, the first Thursday in May was dedicated as the National Day of Prayer. Now, 1952, we were in the midst of the Cold War. Godless communism was a major threat. It was in 1956 that In God We Trust was added to our currency. Um, Somewhere around in there, uh, under God was added to the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. God was, uh, it was important to add God to our national symbols. And so the National Day of Prayer was added in 1952, a time for the country to come together and uh, people of all different faiths, so it was said, to come together and have a thought for the good of the country. Let's give it a benevolent, in our, in our hearts here today, let's give it a benevolent cast for those who were creating it, all right? In 2003, a group of secular folks, humanists among them, came together and created the National Day of Reason on the first Thursday in May and said this is a counter to the National Day of Prayer. The National Day of Reason was a way of saying it's first of all unconstitutional to use taxpayer money and space to um, hold national days of prayer in, in civic uh, public spaces to, to use our taxpayer money for that sort of thing. And they said, we're going to have a national day of reason. So, fine. I can tell you that the national day of prayer probably gets more uh, interest and press, but in Minnesota, the national day of reason has a very respectable um, event in the Minnesota State Capitol, and I was delighted to go this year to the National Day of Reason. It was uh, in the, the lovely ground floor room. Uh, it's a vaulted, kind of low vaulted ceiling. It's round, the acoustics are quite wonderful. And there were several organizations there, including uh, FUS, um, uh, the Humanists of Minnesota, Oremet, the Humanist Jewish Congregation, um, a, a number of other uh, groups in, and some justice-oriented groups, including Out Front Minnesota, including Unrestrict Minnesota. There were just uh, several, and there were lots of great speakers, including um, Andrew Seidel, who um, is the Vice President of Strategic Communications for Americans United for the Separation of Church and State. 
Um, he was terrific. Andrew Seidel was just terrific. And he uh, gave a very impassioned and uh, cogent speech about the rise of white Christian nationalism and the dangers of uh, Christian nationalism as an ideology, not as a faith movement. Let's be very careful to understand that white Christian nationalism is a perversion of a faith movement. It's an ideology tied to a political movement of authoritarianism. And he, he really laid it out. He was very good, and I think he's got a book out about it. There are several books about it right now. Um, the person that who's... who's uh, reading I did at the beginning, Carter Hayward, has a book out right now called The Seven Deadly Sins of White Christian Nationalism. So there's a lot to be said from, even from people of faith about that. Our own Audrey Kingstrom was an organizer of that day, and she had some powerful remarks as well. But something that morning stuck in my craw there was one fellow from one organization, I can't remember which one, who got up and said, to begin his remarks, nothing fails like prayer. Nothing fails like prayer. And that just, that just kind of ticked me off a little. I just thought, why'd you have to do that? If we can't have a positive message without denigrating other folks for what they do, what's our point? I got it. I got why he did it. It was sort of an insider crowd. He got a laugh. It was a laugh line. But it felt like a cheap laugh to me, and I've thought about it since, and I've thought about how I don't want us to be those kind of humanists. And I think for the most part, we are not. This congregation itself has changed quite a bit from a kind of crusty humanism to a happier humanism. <laughs> Listen to you laugh. See? A positivism in humanism. We are about something rather than against something. We say we are humanist as a positive statement more often than we say we are atheist as an, an anti-statement. And I think that's important. And I think we have some way to go on this. So I want to spend a little time talking about why that, why that struck me as a humanist who prays, why I am a humanist who prays, and what that means to me. I titled my talk today, It's All Relationships All the Time. When I was an intern doing my ministerial internship, I say to you, Buckley, doing your ministerial internship, I was in a congregation and I realized early on, wow, it was all relationships, all the time. You're related to you, and you're related to you, and you're related to you, and you've been in that conversation with you, and ooh, all of the relationships all of the time. And as complex as our relationships are within this congregation, so are our relationships outside complex, and rightly 
so. And so how we navigate the complexity of relationships, the complexity of pluralism, is an important one for us to work on. So many of you know that I grew up in a, a fundamentalist um, religion. We didn't call it that at the time, but that's surely what it was. Baptized in a lake at church camp when I was 12 years old. I can still recite some scriptures. We were Bible believers. Um, and I left that. And one of the best things that becoming a minister, perhaps even before that, becoming a Unitarian Universalist did for me was to help me make peace with the theology that I rejected. To help me make peace with the theology that I rejected. I don't have to make it wrong anymore. There were things I learned there that I still carry with me. What it means to be in a congregation together. What it means to care for each other and know when someone's sick. Uh, to set, stand up and sing songs together. To play music together. Well, I didn't learn that in the church I grew up in. No instrumental music. We were that far to the right. And I'm not sure what I learned about prayer there that wasn't sort of rote. But I remember at church camp, sitting on a log fire, sitting around a log fire after I'd been baptized, soaking wet, you know, full immersion. And the idea that Jesus, this character who was like the coolest guy in high school, was sitting behind me. This notion of the best of us, the best of us could be an inspiration. That I think I have not let go of. Letting go of all the saving, letting go of the pearly gates and the streets of gold. But that the best of us is an ideal that we hold and can reach toward. That's what my humanism is based in. I don't think I would do the justice work that I do today if it had not been for that basis that I grew up in. The Sermon on the Mount as a prescriptive for the way we should be in the world. It was Kierkegaard, I didn't know a thing about Kierkegaard, only later in seminary did I learn, after I'd rejected all of that, was unchurched for many years, became a Unitarian Universalist, and heard a call to ministry, and went to seminary, that I learned these words that have stayed with me, that prayer does not change God or not God. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes the one who prays. Prayer does not change something else. It changes us. It is a posture of humility. So many of you know that I'm in a, a, a person in long-term sobriety in a 12-step program, and with my sponsees, we say the serenity prayer almost every day, right? You can say the serenity prayer without using the word God in it. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, 
and the wisdom to know the difference. That lives in some of us. I see you say it along with me. That changes me, not something else. So I disagree with the fellow who says, nothing fails like prayer. Prayer changes me. It invites me into a posture of humility. And so I wonder about us as humanists, what invites us into a posture of humility? Certainly, we don't share a certainty of knowing exactly what happens after we die. We don't share a certainty of knowing that this is God and this is not God. And many people of faith have an exact certainty that's comforting to them. I think we're humble in that way. We're humble in the, in the understanding that the scientific method unfolds, that truth and evidence is unfolding. There is humility to know that what we know now is not all that will be known. But we can be fairly rigid in not wanting to hear about things that others believe. And there are those among us in this room who have a more expansive understanding of spirituality, of soul, of mystery than a colder humanism would allow space for. We are not all humanists of one stripe. And so I invite us into that humility and curiosity of knowing that others share that as well. That is the complexity of love in the room, navigating the complexity of those relationships. I wonder how pluralistic we humanists can be. Religious pluralism in a democratic state is, means that every individual has the right in a religiously diverse society to have the rights and the freedoms and the safety to worship or not according to their conscience, right? That's the sort of the definition of religious pluralism. And I will say in the 247 years of this country, it has been honored more in the concept than in the observance of it. In many Unitarian Universalist spaces, religious pluralism means that each of us and each religion has a piece of the truth. But if we humanists believe that over here live the religions, but we're not religious, we're over here, we wall ourselves off a bit from some of those truths. And I think it's useful to, to know that. The organization, the Interfaith Youth Corps, says that diversity is a fact. Pluralism is an achievement. 
Diversity is a fact. Pluralism is an achievement. And that equals a respect for religious identities, mutually inspiring relationships across religious boundaries, common action for the common good. Religious diversity is a foundational American strength. And I think to the extent that we are willing to be religious, bound together, religare, bound together, we can participate in that common action for the common good. David Breeden, our senior minister, often says that we straddle both worlds, the secular and the religious. Many of us tend more to the secular side. I'm hopeful that we can strengthen our religious muscle so that we can participate with the very good work that people who claim themselves as religious are doing. I'll just say to you um, that I was at a, an event on uh, Friday night. I went to a bonfire that was hosted by one of our, our congregants. We were meeting some trans folks. It was a trans welcome space. And um, there were a couple of women there who said to me, wow, gee, you look familiar. Do I know you? And, and uh, I, we identified that we had been at the Capitol at the same time, on one of the many rally days, one of the many lobby days this year. And um, one of them was from a very secular, uh, non-religious background, and one of them was deeply committed as a Christian. And we were both there, we were all three there, lobbying for trans rights. And so I dare not make assumptions about what brings someone to a space to lobby out of their values, or that their Christianity is opposed to the same work that I've shown up to do. My colleague, the Reverend Christian, Kristen Grashel Smith says, I call the person who shouldn't ever be exposed to theology they don't agree with as theologically fragile. Sometimes I'm theologically fragile. I want to build up the muscle of curiosity and courage so that I can be present and curious with people whose identities and theological commitments don't line up with mine so that I can ask questions about where we do have intersections what we can find together. I'll close with these words of Alice Walker, continuing with the theme of love and the idea that we should be in the work of building up and not damaging anyone out of our faith commitment, that we don't write anyone off Alice Walker says, love is not concerned with whom you pray to or where you slept the night you ran away from home. Love is concerned that the beating of your heart should kill no one. May it be so, and may we make it so.
Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.